you know, I'm pretty well versed into the Colorado uh, marijuana legislation and things like that. But in mm-hmm. terms of my, my view on uh, cannabis nationwide, you know, I'm uh, optimistic. I guess that's all you can really be at this point. I know a, a good bit of folks uh, are very angry with what the administration, uh, executive administration is doing right now in terms of not dealing with legalization. And I completely understand that. But as someone who's in these rooms that other folks aren't privy to, a lot of the issue is with MSOs. A lot of the issue is with these uh, multi-state operators that want to find ways to make sure that they get a cut of the pie when the states open up. So they they yeah. go they they have the money to go to lo- to the Washington lobby against legalization, and you know we do this whole swisheroo between who we think is the issue. is is a real complex issue. So for me, I feel like I'm I'm optimistic that. It, the legalization nationwide will happen. But on the other side of it, you know, understanding, you know, like I said, I'm from the Midwest. I've seen what Chicago did. I see what Michigan did, you know. It's a mixed bag, really. Colorado was a good example. I mean, I'm from I'm, I'm here, you know, I'm doing business here. And yeah. I can see that in Colorado, the legislators and they want to have us a part of it. But then you got some states that don't want us to have any part of it. They want to make all the rules, all the, the tax rates and whatnot. And just you do as we say. back to Gramps Place, where my guests and I discuss all things of public interest and anything else that might need a little changing in the good old USA, from ending the drug war and freeing those wrongfully imprisoned for crimes that have no victim, to making government more like what our forefathers intended of we the people again. I talk with doctors, scientists, politicians, and more, so you can make your own decisions on important issues in the USA. In this week's episode, I am joined by entrepreneur and CEO of Gentleman Quinn's, Jarrell Wall. Gentleman Quinn's is a high-class pre-roll blunt company based in Colorado. Jarrell and I talk about his company and how they got started, but then dive off into advocacy, what got me started, and what some things are that advocates can do to help move legalization forward in the United States. Jarrell has worked with lawmakers in Colorado on a first-hand basis and give some insights for those who have been on the outside of it all. Let's meet Jarrell and join the conversation. Hello, Jarrell, and thank you for joining me here on Grant's Place. Definitely appreciate it. Appreciate the opportunity. You bet. You are the CEO and, the way I understand it, the co-founder of a cannabis brand in Colorado, correct? Absolutely. I'm the CEO, co-founder, and creative director for Gentleman Quinn's. We're a pre-roll ma- ma- manufacturing marijuana company, fully licensed. Uh, our flagship product is a, hand ra- a hand-rolled hemp-wrapped high-class big-ass blunt. So we roll cigar-style marijuana products, and that's kind of you know our claim to fame here in Colorado. Okay. So, so your pre-rolls are all natural, correct? 
Yeah, we use all hemp. We don't we can't do anything with tobacco here in Colorado. So uh, that was a, a little bit of how we were able to get in and, uh, you know, look at the void. Because when I first came into the industry, there weren't really many branded pre-roll products. Uh, so you, Blunts obviously was one of the, the main ones I was expecting to see here. And, you know, I moved out here in 2014. Uh, there were none. So when I came into the industry, me and my business partners saw the opportunity. We, uh, you know, kind of figured out how to get it done. We figured out uh, looking for different type of paper wraps and things like that. We tried cannabis, banana wrap. We tried almost everything, but we censored on hemp wrap, which, you know, is this straight up hemp, uh, hemp pulp. And, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the better uh, options right now in terms of in, in, in inhaling your, your marijuana products. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to come back to the banana wrap in a minute. Absolutely. But anyway, uh, so it's it's a I was going to ask you it's a hemp pulp that's formed into like a a, a more or less a paper or a, a, like a leaf wrap is what Absolutely. it's called basically, right? Hundred percent. Okay, so there's there's no nicotine, no tobacco, Absolutely. no byproducts. We lucked up. We actually have our own manufacturer, uh, so okay, we were cool. able to you know talk to them about you know what the ingredients were things like that but like i said within the colorado uh charter amendment 69 64 they made it specific that tobacco was a no-no with the industry so that's why at the moment you're not seeing a lot of uh tobacco companies jumping in right now or at least you know you're not seeing them jump in with their main face they may have some equity and things like that through llc's and things like that but oh, yeah. for the most oh, part yeah. tobacco itself is a no-no within the industry yeah so you have the uh, the pre roll blunts. That's what you you offer. Big ass blunts is what I heard in there. Right? High class big ass blunts, absolutely. High class big ass <laughs> blunts. Cool. <laughs> uh, you said something about trying banana wraps. I, I now I'm, that's all new to me. I hadn't heard that one. You got to explain a banana wrap to me. Yeah, we've literally tried almost every different type of tobacco uh, paper substitute within the cannabis when we were getting started. We tried a rice paper. We tried cannabis paper that was just straight up cannabis uh fan leaves pimp uh pulped out and whatnot and they were completely green and whatnot we tried you know in europe there was a company that did uh corn husk banana wraps and whatnot they were actually going bankrupt so we got we had them shipped out here a few boxes to just try them out we said we didn't want to do it and then two three four years later most cannabis uh, dispensaries have those same ones, <laughs> so they, they were they were able to get a brand new life and whatnot. But we didn't like them that much. But for the most part, you know, we've seen everything. I mean, I I, I like bananas <laughs> and I like cannabis. But... You will like a high class big ass blood. That's what you. <laughs> that pro I probably would. I bet I would. Absolutely. I bet I, I'd like it just fine, but uh, not wrapped in a banana wrap. That just when you said it, I went, hmm, okay. I don't think so. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, do you grow as well, or are you just purchasing flour from other growers? How's how's all that side of it work? Yeah, absolutely. We uh we we had the opportunity. Uh, my business partner was a general manager at a medical dispensary for about eight years, and I came okay. from the television world. So when I was working at the dispensary as a part time job, doing marketing stuff, you know, just doing social media posts, magazine ads, and things like that. Uh, for the most part we kind of were able to kind of see how the dispensary side of things worked, how the cultivation side of things worked. And when we were forming our company, we were like, we don't want to deal with any of that overhead. We don't want to, you know, be completely dealt with uh, the 280E situation and things like that. So we said we wanted to do a manufacturing company and use it to its, its, its uh, 
its best abilities more or less so we didn't have to grow we could go to any grower in the state that has the best flower try those guys out and bring them for our products now that was initially how we started out this year we have brand new rules and testing and whatnot testing for heavy metals uh mold microbials things like that so we have to be even more discerning to the uh cultivations that we use because you know for the most part when it comes to pre-rolls in colorado or really pre-rolls anywhere they're really just using trim stems uh fan leaves that are just uh grounded up we don't use any of that for the high class big ass blunts it's within its name we're using all top shelf whole bud uh fully cured and things like that we're not using any trim or anything like that so we had to be a little more discerning with the cultivations we have and right now we have a really good partner but at the same time like i said we could go to any place in the state and find the best stuff as long as they're testing to our specifications yeah, uh, it, you stole the question right off the tip of my tongue there, dude, and answered it already. Because what you said about most pre-rolls, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I was going to say I'm not a fan, Absolutely. you know, typically, just because of what you just said. 90% of them, it stems, you know, fan leaves, and it's the trash, you know, it's, it's the, the leftovers. Well, yeah. what you what you would notice with that is uh when you get these other states that talk about doing the vertical integration and whatnot and luckily some of the east coast states aren't doing that i'm not a big fan of it but you know more power to those guys that actually have a grow and everything all the way up but what you notice sure. is you know they have to make their own products so the first thing you're going to do is we're going to put some flour away just for the top shelf bud on the shelves we're going to put a little bit of the flour away from our yields for concentrates and the goo pens and then anything left we're going to you know try to do something with we could either make it into some butter or something like that sell it to the edible companies or we'll just use the rest and just put it in pre-rolls because we know it sells five dollars a pop now with that you know previous to this year with the pre-roll testing there weren't there wasn't much testing so they could get away with a lot and you know i definitely don't want to come down on dispensaries and whatnot hey it's the vertical integration model you know you guys sure. do your thing sure. but like i said when i came from atlanta you know i was in college in atlanta uh 2012 we heard about colorado going legal I had a college buddy whose wife and him, they got married. They moved out here. They started growing, and he'd been telling us about, hey, come visit Colorado. Come visit. I didn't know where Colorado was at the time, you know. I'm from the Midwest, moved to the South. I didn't know anything about the West. So they were telling us about it. We're seeing all these things online about uh, the, the marijuana market. We're seeing all this propaganda. We're seeing marijuana vending machines and joint packets that look like cigars it was all bullshit it wasn't real you know yeah. but that was that was really what kind of got our uh ears perked up in the south when legalization first happened so when i made the move in 2014 2015 i was expecting that but what you do is you came out here you found just little tubes of joints and whatnot i would get a lot of headaches from them and whatnot you know it was just not a good experience so when i had the opportunity to develop this product i said i wanted to make something that i knew that i would buy and that's one thing you would notice with a lot of different owners within the cannabis industry either they don't live in colorado or the states that they have businesses in and they don't really smoke marijuana you know they see it as you know it's it's a, a cash opportunity and whatnot so we'll just get into it put some money in here and there my business partners and myself we all smoke marijuana and i say that you know proudly you know i used to work corporate so I couldn't, you know, this is a, this year's me doing podcasts and stuff now that I'm doing my business full time. But, you know, you weren't able to say that back in the day when I had to do a corporate job. But now, you know, I'm really? out here saying that, hey, I smoke marijuana. I'm a, a marijuana business owner and I want to buy some make stuff that I know people would, would buy. And I know that I would buy myself. I mean, you wouldn't know it looking at me, listening to me, but I, I still work in the corporate world. I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. 
<laughs> but luckily, I'm good enough to have, you know, I mean, I don't know how much you know about my story uh, and why I got involved in this or not. I don't know how many podcast episodes you've listened to and if you've caught one that's had the portion about why I do what I do or not. Uh, but I have an employer because of why I do what I do. I lost a son in 2016. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, wow. Thank you. Um, I, I I didn't know about the medicinal properties of, of cannabis, right? And uh, at the time, I wasn't using and hadn't for, for a while. But, uh, you know, my son come to me. He started having seizures when he was nine years old, but he had no, just give you a, a condensed version as I can. Absolutely. Yeah, he, uh, he, he had no signs when he had the first seizure. He had no, no signs or symptoms, no indications of epilepsy. So the idea was he was in that group of children that manifested between eight and 10. May or may not have another seizure and will probably grow out of it between 12 and 14. So we didn't medicate. We kept our fingers crossed that that was going to be the case. And he didn't have a seizure for 18 months. But then he had another one. And then he had another one about three months later. Then he didn't have another one for 18 months. Then it was three weeks. Then it was six months. Then, you know, there was no pattern to it whatsoever. Wow. So uh, we continued on the path because there was no pattern, hoping that he was going to grow out of it. Well, he's 16. Now he's got his driving permit. You know, he's still having seizures, you know. Uh, when he was 18, he'd had a seizure behind the wheel. And, and his, un, unrealistically or unbelievably, his mother is, a paramedic and she wouldn't help him so and we'd been divorced uh, since she was about three and a half years old so he came to me one weekend he said you know dad uh which luckily mind you he that when he had the seizure behind the wheel he went through a barbed wire fence he was out in the country on the back road you know tore his truck up but that was it right tore his truck up in the neighbor's fence we had to go fix it but uh he come to me, you know, a few weeks later and your know, mom won't help me. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I want to go see another doctor. I want to see about getting on some medication. You know, that, that scared me. And I said, okay, let's go. So they run him through the ringer again. Still no sign of, of epilepsy whatsoever. But uh, they started him on a low dose of Keppra, which is the typical first drug they give someone with having a seizure issue and the immediate effect was exactly the opposite of what we were searching for wow so it went from sporadic no pattern to patternistic like clockwork they were about every two months but it was you could almost bank on it absolutely and set your watch by it right wow and uh, so then, you know, and we had been, mind you, over the entire course of this, looking for external, you know, environmental Absolutely. things that could be triggers, but never could figure anything out. Even tried, you know, saying, hey, you ain't playing your damn PlayStation no more kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. Didn't matter. So anyway, uh, 
long and short of it, five and a half years went on with him. I mean, they increased the dose after six months. It got worse. So they changed the medication. It got worse. So they increased the dose. It got worse. So they changed the medication. It got worse. So now that he's taking two medications, it got worse. Every medication changed from that point on. It got continually more frequent and more intense. And they were always full grand mal seizures to, be, to begin with. Uh, no warnings, no auras, no nothing. Just he could wow. be walking across the room, minding his own business, and wham. Uh, so about six months before he passed, he came to me and he says, hey, Dad, you know what do you think? I've heard these stories about people, you know, using marijuana or these oils from marijuana and this, that, and the other. And I said, kid, I, I said, I still remember the look on his face. I said, kid, I, I'll be honest with you. I said, I smoked that shit for 26 plus years every day. Right. But I ain't got a clue. You know, I said, I have no idea. I don't know. Uh, but we'll find out if Absolutely. you want to find out. You know, I said, I said, don't tell him I told you. I said, but your uncle, my brother, <laughs> I said, your uncle still smokes that shit every day. You know, so I said, so if, you know, you want to try it, you want to get it, I said, we, we, we'll get it. I said, that's not a problem. You know, and uh, he said, well, you know, I just. I just wondered, you know, if you knew anything about it. And I said, no, I don't know anything about it. I said, but we could find out if you want Absolutely. to. Absolutely. I said, but in my opinion, if there's anything to it, the quickest way to find out is just try it. Yeah, absolutely. I said, I tell you right now, it ain't going to hurt you. It ain't going to hurt you. You know, I promise you that. So we talked, you know, another time about three, four weeks later, you know, because uh, like I said, his mom and I were divorced. By this point in time, he too was living on his own. He was self-supporting. Uh, so, uh, you know, I saw him when I saw him kind of thing and we saw each other probably three to three or four different times. We talked about it. And the last time we talked about it, I said, you know, you make a decision. Let's, let's do it. Shit or get off the pot, you know? Absolutely. And he said, well, you know, he said, my only hang up is, uh, I just don't want to break the law, dad. And, you know, he was 23 years old at the time. It was his decision. And what the hell is a father supposed to say when your son tells you that? No, motherfucker, you're going to break the law. Right. You know, you have, you can't do anything but respect his position. Absolutely. As much as I wanted to argue with it, because it, I still didn't know. Yeah. I still hadn't taken the time to look. And that's the only regret I have is that I didn't. Uh, until after he passed away, but I had no idea, you know, that within six months I was going to get that phone call. Wow. I mean, that wasn't even a thought that, that crossed my mind, you know, and, and June 16th of 2016, I was at work sitting at my desk and the phone rang. That was tough, you know, and it's tough every day still. Uh, but Long and short of it is, is, is after he passed away, his mother and I got to talking the day of his service. First real conversation her and I had had in 20 plus years, right? Right, right. She came over, she pulled out the chair from where I was sitting across from me and sat down. And she said, you know, I, I tried to get, and she, mind you, to preempt what I'm fixing to say, 
while we were married, I drank heavily. Uh, at one when we first got together, I smoked and she didn't like it, so I quit. Yeah, you know, uh, straight as an arrow as an arrow can be. That was his mother, or still is to this day. And uh, she, you know, she said I tried to get that boy to try some marijuana, and I said, "Well, wait, what? What? Wow. <laughs> you know?" And so that got the wheels turning, right? If she said that, then she's heard some things that made her go, hmm. Yeah. And if she did that, if she did that, then maybe there's more to this than than even I know about. So absolutely. I uh, I came home here, and uh, it's an hour and a half drive, like I said. So we didn't say two words to each other the entire drive. We got home. I changed clothes. I sat down right here. It was a different desk then, and uh. I sat down and and just typed in Yahoo search bar epilepsy slash marijuana and I hit enter. And the first thing that came up, this is this is kind of ironic because uh, I got this at the uh, at the convention because I met you know who Jack Her is right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I'm I here. I met Dan Her. Wow. This weekend at the Texas Cannabis Policy Conference. The first thing that came up was this book. (laughs) Legendary. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. The emperor wears no clothes. And and hell yeah. The first thing that my search directed to me, me to in here was the study completed by Dr. Gene P. Davis and Dr. H. H. Ramsey in the United States of America treating epileptics with extracts of cannabis or marijuana that had a better than 50% success rate in 1947. That pissed me off. You know what I mean? Uh, to where to be, to I be became, a student of history is to be pissed off. <laughs> I mean, I went, I went head over heels into research at that point. Absolutely. And I mean, I, I started. He, like I said, he passed away in June 2016. I started my page on Facebook, which I don't know if you're aware of or not. It's called Something Has to Change, and now. I'm about to jump on that after this call. Not a problem. Uh, I started that page in the same month that he passed away. Same month, same year. Uh, it wasn't originally, that wasn't originally the name. Facebook sent me a message that said, change the name or we're going to wow. shut you down. Yep, that's Facebook for you. <laughs> yeah, so I changed the name. That's the most logical thing I could think of because something really does have to change. And now... Uh, because, and that's what drives me. That's why I do what I do. Uh, because I don't want anybody, anybody else to have to wake up and feel the way I feel every morning when I think of him. Absolutely. And he's the first thought that enters my mind when I wake up every single day and has for over five years now. And I don't think that's ever going to change uh, unless something else drastic happens in my life right 
but uh, uh, nobody should have to feel the way I feel every day because they lost someone because of laws based in lies. Absolutely. And that's where I stand on the subject. At any rate, we kind of got off on a tangent there. Oh, no, that's that's important. And, you know, obviously, you know, before we jump back in, you know, I'm definitely sorry about your loss. You know, I haven't had anybody, you know, my parents passed when I was young and whatnot, but it wasn't anything marijuana potential that could have helped them and things like that. So, you know, I'm sorry for your loss. You know, that's definitely a, a sacrifice to help you help the entire industry and the entire, you know, cannabis movement and whatnot. So it's definitely not a situation where it's in vain. But at the same time, you know, I, well, I'm sorry about that. I totally appreciate that. And, and you know, kind of explain, you know, it's a sacrifice. It is for me to do what I do. But uh, I was getting ready. Uh, we had our big 2019 lobby day and and policy uh, wasn't a conference but it was same same people putting on the same thing but we had our big lobby day and everything at the uh, in Austin during the 2019 session and uh, I was you know I had gotten some new slacks and I was trying to get all my shit packed up I had you know shit printed out and I, I, I was running around here like a chicken with my head cut off and uh grabbed this we had this old iron that was probably almost as old as i am and i was going to iron my my pants and stuff before i packed them in the suitcase and stuff so right. it's, i'm i'm a man but i don't mind ironing a little bit you know i had to when i was single and worked in retail Absolutely. management so there wasn't <laughs> nobody else to do it but me so yeah i know how at any rate uh Evidently, the, th the thermostat on this iron had gone bad, and it didn't know when to shut off. Wow. Oh, so, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so I get, finally grabbed the iron, and I go to put it on this brand-new pair of slacks that I'd bought, and, of course, melted right through them. <laughs> and I lost it, right? I mean, I, I literally was – I was livid. So I jump in the truck. I haul ass back into town, which is like 20 minutes to Walmart. So I haul ass to Walmart, buy a new iron. I just said, fuck it, I'm going to wear my old slacks, you know. <laughs> not not going to even try to buy another new pair. Absolutely. Leave Walmart, come home, and I'm trying to get the rest of my shit put together. She comes up. She puts her arm on my shoulder. She says, hey. I said, what? Go out in the garage, smoke a bowl. <laughs> She's a keeper. <laughs> yeah. I got this. You know, I said, okay. So I go out and I come back in and I looked at her and I said, you know, I said, I really, she's finishing up the last little bit. And I said, you know, uh, I said, I really need to, because I was spending money advertising on Facebook. And I mean, I was really not just the time I was head over heels. And uh, I said, I really, I really need thanking. She said, you don't need to thank me for anything. I said, yeah, you know, it's, it's, I'm spending money. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. It's all my time, blah, blah, blah. And she just kind of looked at me. She said, I'm smart enough to know if you're not doing this, I'd lose you completely. Right. And I said, well, I still thank you. Pardon this short break for a word from our sponsors. 
Welcome back to Gramps Place, the podcast where Gramps and his guests talk about all things cannabis and cannabis law reform, along with anything else that piques public interests. At any rate, uh, so I, I got to ask you, um, with your, your blunts, your big ass blunts, how many varieties do you have? Yeah, so right now uh, we have uh, the main skew, which is the high-class big-ass blunt. We switch our menu up with the different strains every season. So every season we have four new strains and whatnot. Uh, within a few weeks from this podcast, we're coming out with our second product, which is the mini version, which is a half-size version of it, just because, you know, we either get people saying that it's too small or too big. Generally, the guys that say it's too big are the stoners. And they're not buying our product anyway. So but we, we did, do tend to hear from folks that are, you know, kind of casual smokers that uh, it's, it's a pretty fat blunt. So let's just try to get you get a smaller one. So we have a, a secondary product, which is going to be the same thing, uh, you know, same wrapper, uh, same good flower and whatnot, you know, same presentation and whatnot. So those are the mini cues. But for the most part, like I said, we, we switch our strains around every season. We're about to come out with two new strains. Uh, so yeah, that's that's kind of the, the boutique feel we want to have with it. Uh, we, me and my business partners and the chief roller himself, we named the company after him, Gentleman Quinn. We all go down to the cultivations we buy from. We try each of the flowers. We, you know, have a consensus of what we want to bring to the to the table, and we don't do it based on what's cheapest, uh, what's the easiest to to to, to procure. You know, we our, our cultivation is like uh two hours from us south. So we go as far as we can to find the best flower that will represent our, our, our product very well. Okay, cool deal. So, Zara, the, other than you already kind of answered my next question with, with having the mini version, is there any other plans to expand the selection? Uh, so far, you know, we, we, we want to come out with our uh, flagship product so folks to know the quality we're bringing to it. And, you know, we're also doing a service model where because of these new pre-roll tests, we're telling dispensaries we can roll the flower for you because we have a facility specifically for it. But when it comes to our, our main products from the company, it's the high-class big-ass blunt and the mini Q. And then in the future, we want to have a, a few more packs and things like that. But we're just uh, where we are right now is where we're at. Okay. If that answers Good it for you. That, that does. So I gotta, I kind of gotta kind of switch gears on you now, and gotta Absolutely. ask, you, gotta ask your opinions on some things, uh, like for starters, the status of legalization across the country. Any thoughts? I got a lot of thoughts. Uh, <laughs> I so figured I, you might. I, 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 I'll, I'll preface this by saying, you know, as a business owner in Colorado, the state, uh, in terms of marijuana regulations, they ask business owners to be a part of new rules. They ask us to be a part of uh, when testing issues come up and things like that. So I've been pretty delved into the state politics of cannabis since I'd say 2018. So I was able to help with the social equity bills and things like that that came to the state. You know, we're not a big player, gentlemen, because we're, we're probably the smallest small business in cannabis in the entire state. But I take the government side of things very seriously, just based on, you know, what you've said uh, in terms of, you know, having the information since the 40s and whatnot. And we still roll with this, oh, shucks, we didn't know any better nonsense. And yeah. we still have to, to deal with it, especially as a business owner in terms of advertising, in terms of having businesses in the city of Denver and whatnot, it's almost impossible for folks just based on, you know, some of the restrictions, things like that. So on that side, I just like to preface that, you know, I'm pretty well versed into the Colorado uh, marijuana legislation and things like that. But in mm -hmm. terms of my, my view on uh, cannabis nationwide, you know, I'm uh, optimistic. I guess that's all you can really be at this point. Uh, I know a, a good bit of folks uh, 
are very angry with what the administration, uh, executive administration is doing right now in terms of not dealing with legalization. And I completely understand that. But as someone who's in these rooms that other folks aren't privy to, a lot of the issue is with MSOs. A lot of the issue is with these uh, multi-state operators that want to find ways to make sure that they get a cut of the pie when the states open up. So they they yeah. go they they have the money to go to lo- to the Washington lobby against legalization and you know we do this whole swisheroo between who we think is the issue. Is is a real complex issue. So for me I feel like I'm I'm optimistic that the legalization nationwide will happen, but on the other side of it, you know, understanding, you know, like I said I'm from the Midwest. I've seen what Chicago did. I see what Michigan did, you know. It's a mixed bag, really. Colorado was a good example. It's, I mean, I'm from I'm, I'm I'm here, you know, I'm doing business here. And yeah. I can see that in Colorado, the legislators and they want to have us a part of it. But then you got some states that don't want us to have any part of it. They want to make all the rules, all the, the tax rates and whatnot. And just you do as we say. And it's not a lot of states. It's not going to work out, you know. Virginia, for instance, you know, it's, 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 you know, they already pushed back. They reached out to us and I spoke to a few legislators back in February of 2020 about their efforts when they had a different governor in office and they were moving forward. And they want us to do the outdoor growth thing. They want us to repatriate tobacco fields and stuff like that. They had a pretty big plan of how they wanted to do it. And what I would yeah. tell them is, you know, you got to remember prohibitionists still believe what they believe. There's still a lot of prohibitionists in government. There's still a lot of prohibitionists in, you know, just regular life, parents and things like that, regular jobs and stuff like that, you know. So it's not going to be as easy as you would think to, you know, do all the grand ideas that you guys want. And lo and behold, this year, they basically kicked it down the road for another two years, which, you know, you know, don't know where that's going to end up. So it really is a pretty big mixed bag when it comes state by state. Uh, But what I tell folks is, you know, they just need to be a part of uh city council meetings they need to be a part of these little uh legislative meetings about whether legalization is going to happen mm-hmm. they need to be everybody needs to be a part of it because you don't really know what's going on behind these closed doors and whatnot and again you get the the two-hand shuffle you know what i mean you, you don't really know <laughs> where where the enemies really are and where the the pushbacks are really happening and whatnot so like i said i'm optimistic i'm doing what i can at this point <laughs> so yeah we'll see where we end up at <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the same thing for me. I do what I can. I I make the phone calls to the people who will listen. Absolutely. I, I, sometimes I make the phone calls and the emails even to the people who won't listen. Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, but but it, I stay involved constantly, absolutely. constantly engaged. So do you got any opinions on what states might legalize next? Hmm. That's a that's, that's an interesting. I'm not too sure which ones will legalize next. I'm I'm more interested in the states that actually have uh you know done the work legislatively to move forward. You know, obviously New York, the East Coast. I'm a real big fan of what the East Coast is doing. They actually look at the West and all the wild nonsense that we do out here from California to even some of the stuff we're doing in Colorado with rolling back some of the medical rules and whatnot. You know, uh the East Coast is doing it right, especially when it comes to social equity, trying to bring more folks on that were affected by the war on drugs and you know that's like a two big issues that i have a big issue with is well three one of them being marijuana research like you've been explaining you know we have had some sparse research but one of the main things that pushes back legislation between these groups that don't want marijuana and want more restrictions is they could really just say what they want to say because there is no federal research about what 
can be done, what benefits there are. So, uh, you know, I follow Carl Hart, who is a Dr. Carl Hart out of Columbia. He basically uh, researches the the use of drugs on the brain and whatnot like that. So, you know, he has a lot of, uh, you know, literature. I'm a really big fan of that. I think we need a lot more marijuana research, and I think that's really important. The second thing is employment issues. Uh, we have a bill in Colorado right now that's probably going to die, but it's basically to push back against folks getting fired from their jobs uh, for smoking marijuana outside of work. And the first thing you hear in these meetings is, well, what if it's heavy machinery and they come to work high? You know, you have to, as a business owner, you have to identify the behaviors you want to have from your employees for you know a good work environment right if you don't want somebody to you have to explain it you can't just say well drugs do this you're not people on forklifts aren't drinking beers they're not smoking tobacco they're not they're not doing all they're not doing percocets while heavy machinery you know but it's a big issue like i said when i used to work corporate and whatnot it really hurt my business and my business's growth because i had to pay for my business uh pay for license and things like that, but I had to get a job to do it, but I can't talk about it because I could get fired, you know, and things like that. So mm-hmm. it really hurt me. And I, I, I don't know, I, I could go on, on all day about when it comes to, you know, employment and marijuana and things like that. And I guess the third thing, uh, kind of lost track. Maybe I have to, have to run back to it. <laughs> but those two things are really important. Research, research and employment. Those are really important things. Oh, third thing I was going to say is social equity uh, in terms of the drug war and things like that. Uh, you know, I could briefly get to this, but basically, you know, I get into these meetings with a lot of business owners or a lot of uh, business owners not in marijuana. And, you know, we get the whole idea that uh, the drug war, uh, well, some drugs should be illegal. Uh, oh, shucks, we didn't know about marijuana, this, that, or the other. And me being black, I'm from Gary, Indiana, you know, this is a completely uh, a city that really is devoid of a lot of uh, government resources and things like that based on, you know, redlining all the all the stuff that you could read about and things like that. But when it comes to drugs and stuff like that, uh, we still have this antiquated thought that, well, they're the main evil of the world and whatnot. They cause folks to do A, B and C. And we can't really get from where we are with uh, certain states being legal and certain states not being legal until we kind of address that. So when it comes to social equity, black folks not being able to be in these rooms, you know, I'm there are more business owners that are black in Colorado than me, but I can tell you in these legislative meetings, I'm the only one there. You know, there's not a lot of, and maybe they, maybe some of the folks that are were in the industry before me kind of saw what some of these conversations end up leading to, which is really nothing, but I'm still there. I'm still trying to do what I can, but we really need more equitable ownership within the industry and it's not very easy when it comes to financing because we don't have banks and that's a whole different issue dealing with only private equity private equity comes with a lot of uh tendrils that are really predatory and we had to deal with that stuff or being able to sidestep that with my business partners over the last couple years but for the most part you know that's that's what, what i try to push I'm really happy with what Michael Diaz Rivera is doing. He's really holding the flag really hard out here in Colorado, starting a bunch of groups. And, you know, he talks to legislators all the time. But social equity is a really big issue uh, that we need to kind of address within legalization. And, you know, if it doesn't happen early on, it usually takes a long time to even get discussed, which is what Colorado's doing now. We discussed it, made a few rules that can't necessarily be uh let me not talk bad about Colorado. We're doing our thing. We're trying to figure it out. But, sure, you know, it's sure. just more work that needs to be done. So those are my three big issues legislatively with cannabis. Well, well that's the thing that, that, that uh, you know, I keep telling everybody in Texas. We, we learn. I mean, everybody else has already had the growing pains. Yeah. We've got a path to ease most of the tensions that Colorado and California and Washington and Oregon 
you know, states like like y'all have had to deal with. We we look, go, okay, see, they did this, then they did this because of that. Then 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 they had this, so so they did this. You know, well, we'll just do this and take care right. of all that in one fell swoop, and everybody's happy. But Easy. you know, we can't get <laughs> we can't get certain people down there in Austin to see it that way. <laughs> no, it, like I said, it's a real big mixed bag. You think it is? I thought coming into it and just starting to do some of the legislative stuff once I got my business license, you know, everybody's palling around. Everybody's a good friend and whatnot. When you come to find out, well, there's manufacturers, there's cultivators, then there's storefronts. And they all have their own completely different uh, interest. And then on sure. the other side of that, you have legislators that want to earmark this money for certain things. You don't know where that money's going and whatnot. And then every two or three three years, you're hearing about a brand new tax on cannabis. And, yep. you know, when it comes to business owners trying to make it equitable, at least like have a business that works and whatnot, these folks aren't even able to make any money off of it. So it's just a, a lot of different interest and whatnot. And the more you guys kind of get closer to legalization, the more you kind of see it, you know, oh, yeah. even oh, yeah. when it comes to the medical stuff, like that's been on the back burner and whatnot. And like you can see with Colorado, we rolled back some of our rules based on a bunch of hysteria from parent groups. Yeah. It yeah. happens. <laughs> and and there's patients suffering because of it. Absolutely. Uh, I know some of those Colorado patients who are suffering because of it. Child Absolutely. Patients. Uh, and it's, it's, it, uh, it's, it's and like sad. I said, the, the, the main issue is, uh, you know, like I said, uh, cannabis research, you know, you could get some of these politicians that are in election years and whatnot going for some of these bills that sound really good on paper. Oh, we want to help, help, uh, you know, these, these disadvantaged groups, uh, within crime and A, B and C, but then you kind of come and find out, Oh, you really just rolled back what we spent so long to kind of build out just based yeah. on hysteria, because there's no research that we can all kind of point to and say, uh, yeah. that's correct. And I, I'd even say, uh, you know, what a lot of folks don't realize is for those rules that got rolled back in Colorado, those parent groups or those, uh, let me not even say parent groups, not parents, but you know, some of these interest groups and whatnot, they blamed our, uh, CDPHE, the health department saying that our, our, our statistics were incorrect. What? <laughs> How can we even like get on the same page and we don't even believe in the same facts by the state, you know? So it, yeah. it's, it's, it's a big mixed bag when it comes to legalization, hundred percent. Sure it is. You know, when you talk about, uh, how how we need the research and uh, 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 the other one that and, and that's something we hear here in Texas from the lawmakers all the time. Well, you know, there's not enough research. And then the next statement that comes out of their mouth is and, uh, you know, all we hear is anecdotal evidence. And, and uh, you know, and I'm sorry. Number one, I've always thrown back that we don't have enough research argument because I got news for you. They've been doing research on cannabis around the world. Absolutely. For centuries. 100%. And there are literally tons and tons of research. And in that aspect, I'm sorry, uh, United States is not number one in research, okay? By far, the heart transplant was developed and the first one performed in South Africa. Thank wow. you very much. Uh, and that's just one. I, I didn't mean, even know that. Yeah, I mean, that's just one, dude. I, I did a documentary in 2019, uh, just a little little one-hour-long documentary that I put together. It's actually on my page if you check it out. Absolutely. And I got a YouTube channel that's under the podcast name, Grant's Place Podcast, too, that also has Which I'm a— Which subscribed to. Absolutely. Has, has a video uh, has a video version of the same— um, 
documentary. And then can't remember if it's the second or third. I think it's the second episode of the podcast itself is an audio version of that documentary. Absolutely. But one of one of the conversations I have in that documentary is with this microbiologist that I'm talking to, who's happens to be a good friend, also a fellow advocate here in Texas. But I point out, I go down a whole list of things like, you know, how aspirins from the bark of a willow tree discovered in Germany, I believe it was. Uh, you know, I just and this, the the heart transplant Absolutely. procedure, South Africa, and I I just go down this whole list and say I, we are not the elite when it comes to medical research. So don't talk to me about medical research and we don't have any because there's tons of it. I've read it. I got a, vi- a three part video series just spelling out research. I got another video that's just talking about research on what I'm looking facing with this blood disorder that I have called multiple myeloma. And, and there's research on it. That that research is out of Italy. You know, it's from all around the world. So piss on you and we don't have enough research. I don't take that argument. And then two is now that we've been through the, the most recent pandemic with, with the, the COVID scenario, Absolutely. right? Uh, I don't want to hear about we only have anecdotal evidence anymore because we only had anecdotal evidence on hydroxychloroquine. But we sure started recommending that until we figured out it didn't work. (laughs) And and how many other things? Absolutely. 100%. In the beginning there, they were throwing everything they could get. They were developing drugs that weren't even tested yet and say, oh, yeah, take this. It'll work. Absolutely. I I don't remember what one of ivermectin was another one. Ivermectin, (laughs) yeah. You know, I mean, come on, people. So don't talk to me about we don't have research and and don't talk to me about we only have anecdotal evidence because I don't want to hear that shit anymore. We have enough evidence. We need clinical trials. We need to move forward. I did remember it's a neuropsychopharmacologist, and that's the there you go. There you go. Exactly. (laughs) Dr. Carhart of Columbia, neuropsychopharmacologist and whatnot. And, you know, he specifically uh, does research on the brain usage of drugs and whatnot, you know, and I'm sure anybody could kind of research his background and things like that, but he has a really good book out right now, uh, Drug Use for Adults and whatnot, and I'm a really big proponent of, like, you know, uh, I'm a big proponent of ending all of the drug war. This is all nonsense, you know. We go back and forth about this shit. I mean, it's all just kind of pick and choose which one that seems like it works better for, for, for whatever argument and whatnot, but it all needs to be legal, but when it comes to cannabis, like, it's the most egregious, uh, uh, proponent of some of these illegal uh legislations that that came out since you know the 30s through the 70s through now and whatnot so we need to just kind of move forward on it with cannabis specifically there were two things that drove it and it was (laughs) number one was greed and number two was racism absolutely i mean that's, that's all it was about we want to control a certain group of people and or certain groups, because there was more than one. Absolutely. Because they they most certainly wanted to control not only the blacks, but the hippies. But the hippies. <laughs> the beatniks. <laughs> there you go. Uh, which I still consider myself. <laughs> uh, but, and, and the, I mean, the initial start in the 30s with, with Anslinger. Very and, Anslinger, yep. And, and uh, uh, damn lumber tycoon. Uh, 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 Randolph Hearst. Yeah, absolutely. William Randolph Hearst. William Randolph Hearst. Uh, 
you know, when they started it, it was all about the, the money because he didn't want he didn't want the, the competition in his paper mills. Absolutely. You know, he was already selling his lumber, so he was taking the scrap and making paper. But the hemp industry was his competition, so we got to shut that down. And Anslinger and he were tight, and Anslinger needed something to do because, you know, we just ended alcohol prohibition. So I need something to do. Hey, that's a good idea. Let's do that. You know, that's where it all started. And then they figured out, hey, we can control people with this. I like it. Not me, them. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. But anyway. And that's really interesting you say that about uh, William Randolph Hearst and, uh, you know, textiles and, you know, paper and whatnot. Because one thing I've noticed being in the industry, uh, you notice how much manufacturing isn't in America. You know, you notice how much of that was actually stripped away and how you start these new industries. We really just got to go to whatever country that, you know, has paper mills and whatnot, who has, you know, the facility to make plastics yeah. and tubes and stuff like that and get those shipped in. And it's, it becomes like a, that's a whole other conversation, but you know, yeah, that's, that's just, really eye opening to cannabis. <laughs> I was just uh, talking to some people this past weekend at the Texas cannabis policy conference uh, from Houston and uh, in particular, a certain area of Houston called Pasadena that, when I lived there, had the inconvenient name, nickname of Stinkadina because they had the paper mill. And I mean, that's a bad odor. <laughs> it's not pretty, right? If you've ever been around it, you know what I'm talking about. And, and so uh, when I lived in Mobile, Alabama, there was a paper mill there too. And it just so happened this person has family in Mobile. So we're talking and we're talking about the smell and I I were talking about living in Houston. I said, yeah, I said, I I lived in Stinkadina and he started laughing. He goes, well, it don't smell bad anymore. I said, oh yeah. He goes, yeah. He goes, he goes, yeah. The paper mill shut down about 15 years ago. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. I said, I, I said, you know, I said, that was what I remembered about living in Mobile too, when I lived down in Mobile. And he said, dude, that one's shut down too. And I said, do what? And it, it, it hadn't dawned on me because I hadn't lived near that that industry any longer right. for so many years that you're right. That shit's gone overseas. Yeah, when you have to be up at uh, 3 a.m. calling folks in Germany and the Netherlands and China, you know, getting orders and whatnot, having a back and forth about, you know, breakdowns in English and stuff like that, having to go through customs, this, that, and the other, getting stuff stuck at customs. We have a... Our, our, our boxes are packaged in these cigar boxes and whatnot. And it says on the box, high class, big ass blunt. At one point we had uh, some of our boxes stopped at uh, in Miami's customs for about four months. And the customs agents kept opening them up because they thought they were going to get free cigars out of them. Cause you know, that's illegal to import cigars. And like that whole thing, you know, it's been really eye opening to me. And like I said, I'm one of the smallest uh, manufacturers in the state right now. So I know other yeah. folks are either having to deal with this or even ignoring it, but it was a really a big eye opening thing to me. And just in terms of how business is done in America or lack thereof and whatnot, it's just, it's a lot of stuff that's not even here anymore. You know, you mm-hmm. understand about the eighties and, you know, pushing uh things overseas and whatnot, this, that, or the other, but it's, you know, that's, 
those are the things I'm noticing within cannabis that has just kind of been more eye-opening to me. So, you know, a lot of mixed bag, a lot of, a lot of things going on within cannabis. So, you know, 20 years from now, we'll be where we want to be. <laughs> yeah. There you have it. <laughs> so, uh, if someone's out in Colorado, where can they find your company? You could, uh, you could definitely, you know, look me up, Jarrell Wall, Gentleman Quins. We could go on our website, gentlemanquins.com, and you can see what dispensaries are in. We, uh, our flagship dispensary is a dispensary called Simply Pure, headed by Wanda James, one of the most important business owners in Colorado right now. And I just say that because I've been in rooms that people aren't privy to, and I see the conversation she brings up and is not scared to bring up, the bullet she's able to, you know, kind of put on her back. So Wanda James is a very important person uh, for my business and for the Colorado industry a lot. But, you know, Simply Pure is one of our flagship stores. I always try to shout out, but definitely look on our website, see where you can find some of our products near you and whatnot. We're trying to get into the more dispensaries we can uh, try to get into every dispensary in the state before we end up going to different states. But we're trying to stick our flag here in Colorado. Let everybody know that we're a Colorado brand from top to bottom. Sure. I can understand that. Well, listen, uh, Jarrell, I want to thank you for coming on and taking time to tell us about your company and give us your opinions on the legalization and, and, and your opinions also that you offered up of what people can do to help move that along. Uh, it's, it's been an interesting conversation. I appreciate it. I appreciate you bringing me on. Like I said, I'm a fan. You know, even some of the things you brought up to me in terms of documentary, I'm about to jump on that right after this call. But I'm a fan of this podcast, fan, and I'm really happy that you brought on me and some of my friends in Colorado that are doing some of the hard work. And any way that I can help, you know, push the, the narrative or resources for you guys out in Texas, you know, I'm always an available opportunity. So, you know, give them whatever resources I have. Absolutely. Well, good to know. Good to know. And and as always, we're we're all friends and family in this industry. We all should be. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Grant's Place, the podcast where I bring you the doctors, scientists, patients, politicians, and ordinary everyday people to talk about anything and everything with facts and first-hand reports so you can make your own decisions on important issues. Cannabis law reform, politics, criminal justice, government, and economics are just a few. As always, I thank you for listening and for your generous support. <laughs>